1: Hello, and welcome to The Situation Report today. Very glad to have you joining this conversation. My name is Jeremy Stonlecker. I am your host. And this is the show where we do our very best every single episode. I say this every single episode. We do our best to give you the information, and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. And truly, that is my goal. Every time we sit down with a guest, the goal is the same. Now, sometimes we hit the target, sometimes we don't, but the goal is always the same. We need, first of all, information. We need to be able to look back into history and to extrapolate the lessons that apply today, to understand what's going on around us, to build this catalog of information. We need information. But that information by itself is ineffective if we don't also understand how to apply that information. That is where we need the right perspective. How do we take what is happening, what has happened, what we know of the past, how do we take that information and apply it to our current cultural moment? This is the goal of the show, and today's conversation really speaks exactly to that. I'm grateful to have on as my guest today, Eric Metaxas. Eric has been on the show before. Perhaps you've heard those episodes. If you haven't, go and check those out. Um, But Eric is the master, in my opinion, at taking history and the lessons from history, understanding our current cultural moment, what's happening in the world around us, and building this catalog of information. He provides the information. He breaks the information down. He gives us what we need to know. But beyond that, he has the ability, and I I love this about what he writes on and how he speaks. He takes not only that information, but he makes application. He takes the information and then gives us the right perspective so that in our current cultural environment, we know how to apply That information. How to look to the past and to learn the lessons of the past and apply those to the moment we're in so that we can change if we need to or reinforce if we're on the right track what will happen in the future. Uh, He is the master at doing exactly that and that's why we're having him on again today. It's amazing to me that so often... People use the phrase, uh, phrases like this, uh, unprecedented times. You've heard people say this. Maybe you've said this. Uh, People will say, we're living through unprecedented times. (laughs) We're experiencing uh, the unprecedented. This has never happened exactly like this before. And if you push back on that, you ask the question, what do you mean by this has never happened? What is it that's never happened? They'll say, well, there's never been a global pandemic like this, which is patently false. Certainly there have been other global pandemics, uh, pandemics in the past that wiped out a significant population uh, of the earth. Um, this has happened before. Well, governments and overreach and uh, all of the uh, the Clamoring for power and control and pushing down citizens and the things that we're experiencing right now. This has never happened before. Of course it's happened before. Certainly, even not in the so distant past, this has happened before. The racial divide, the issues of putting one cultural group or one racial group or one ethnic group against another. This has never happened before. This indeed is the story of human history. It feels as though what we're experiencing now has never happened before because maybe we've never lived it before. But we can take the lessons of the past. Uh, We can understand that in the Garden of Eden, man and woman were created by God perfect in a perfect environment. And after living in that perfect environment, they still sinned against God, they rebelled against his will, and there was a consequence. That cycle has played itself out over and over and over again. When we push back on God's specific will for us, when we ignore God's specific word to us, when we rebel against him, the Bible calls that sin, it's missing God's mark of perfection. When that happens, there is a natural consequence. People will say, uh, why would God do this to me? Uh, Why would God allow this to happen? The negative that people are mostly speaking of when they say, why would God? People never ask that question when God blesses or when God is good or when God is gracious. For some reason, we don't ask that question then. But when something bad happens, people will say, why would God? What we can learn if we take a sincere look of the past is that sin, rejecting God and his word, always has consequence. And so the unprecedented times that people like to speak about are simply a repeat of what has already taken place. And this conversation today is about a book, (laughs) another book that Eric wrote, Letter to the American Church, that takes so many of the lessons of the past, particularly as they relate to the church and the church's role in society and culture, taking those lessons of the past, applying them or superimposing them over the present, So that those who are not speaking up where they should speak up will have the information they need and the perspectives they need to stand up and do what God has called them to do. So often in my life, I look at the people around me, those who don't have a relationship with God, those who don't pretend to have a relationship with God, those who in their lives would reject God, and I want to blame them for the ills of society. I want to blame them for the things that aren't right in our culture But the blame really needs to begin, as the Bible says, in the house of the Lord. When churches stop standing up for what is right, when churches stop using the voice that God has given them to proclaim truth, that is the point at which the judgment, the consequence of sin, really begins. It's Christians. It's those who know the truth. It's those who understand the truth. It's those who do have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, who have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling them, the Holy Spirit that guides into truth. It's those who need to speak truth, to be the salt and the light, to push back evil. And yet, in so many ways, in so many places in our country, that's not happening. And Eric wrote this book to address that, again, using history that is descriptive. This is what we're seeing. And then putting together a prescription. This is what we should be doing. I'm so grateful for him. And really, the other books that he's written, the other (laughs) areas of influence that he has and continues to have, very grateful for him. He is, of course, a number one New York Times bestselling author of 14 books, including Bonhoeffer, Martin Luther. Um, Recently, the book is Atheism Dead. You've, I'm sure, heard me on this show. If you listen to the show, talk about Bonhoeffer for sure. Uh, Martin Luther, great look at the Reformation. Is Atheism Dead? Fantastic book, Um, really outlining the science of creation. We look Then from science to uh, the archaeology that supports creation, and then a clear view of atheism and what that is breaks this down so well, a book that I recommend to many. And then his newest book, The Letter to the American Church, which again speaks to this moment that we're living through and what the church should be doing. Very grateful for Eric, grateful for his time, and for his willingness to come on and talk to us today. Uh, Please enjoy this conversation with my guest, Eric Metaxas. Before we jump into that, though, um, I would imagine if you've been to the grocery store recently, you've noticed that things are more expensive. Gas is more expensive. It doesn't matter where you live in this country. Things are more expensive. The economy, our economic future is uncertain. And we have to ask ourselves the question, what is it that we can do to protect our financial future for our families, for our children? What can we do personally? Uh, One of the things I would recommend is at least considering adding gold and silver into your IRA, your investment accounts. Take a look, figure out how to do that and see if that is the right fit for you. The place that you can start is with Lear Capital. Call Lear Capital and you can get their free precious metals investor guide. You can also ask them about their Lear Advantage IRA that lets you transfer or roll over your old 401k or IRA into a gold and silver tax advantage IRA. Plus, Lear is offering right now crazy shipping, uh, free shipping and up to $15,000 in bonus gold or silver with a qualified purchase. This is something you at least need <laughs> to take a look at. You can call for details eight hundred four eight nine six four five zero. 800-489-6450. Lear Capital is the most rated precious metals company on consumer affairs with a near-perfect rating on Trustpilot. Call them at 800-489-6450. That is 800-489-6450. Calling that number, you will get your free kit, and there you will learn how gold has performed during periods of inflation, government debt, interest rate hikes, economic crashes, even wars, and how in all of those gold has been the financial bedrock asset in portfolios. Uh, one of the things I love about Lear Capital is that they are an American-owned company proud to do business with Americans that share conservative values. Write this number down, 800-489-6450. Call them today, or if you don't want to call, you can click the link below in the show description and the show notes. Check them out. You will do yourself a great service by at least investigating Lear and what they have to offer.
2: Eric, thanks for joining me again today. Great to uh, speak with you again. Good to see you. Good to speak with you anytime.
1: Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now.
2: 800-702-5400.
1: Advertisement
0: sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states.
1: Uh, We uh, just had uh, the privilege as an organization, the Mighty Oaks Foundation, of having you and your wife out at our annual gala a couple weeks ago. And uh, that was awesome. You are a keynote. Um, So very cool to spend some time with you there. Um, And what you talked about there is what really I'd like to talk about today. It's your new book, but more than that even is The State of the Church in America. And this is something that uh, pundits are discussing. I heard a a pretty long interview yesterday um, trying to understand what's happening with the church in America and why is it happening. And you wrote your new book dealing specifically with that, but in the context of history, which is very important for us. And um, I'd love for us to talk about that, but let's kind of maybe start. With that big question, what is happening with the church in America? Or or, um, maybe a side question. Why did you decide it was necessary for you to write this book right now?
2: Yeah, well, to sum up, uh, it's called Letter to the American Church. And the reason it's called Letter to the American Church, I've never written a book ever just for the church. But I felt, there's no other way to put it, a burden from God to say this. To the church for God's purposes. And the main thesis is that the silence of the church in Germany in the 1930s that led to the evil of the Nazis rising and everything that followed is precisely the same as the silence of the American church today. Some people would immediately say, well, that's an exaggeration. I wish it were. It is not an exaggeration. I know the history. I know that good people in the 30s, good German pastors and good German church leaders were silent because they believed it was the right thing. They were wrong. We know they were wrong. And many of them knew they were wrong either at the time or shortly thereafter, they realized, oh, yes, we should have spoken up, except now it's too late. I wrote this book because I believe God wants to warn the American church uh, that if we do not begin speaking up immediately against the evil that surrounds us, God is going to hold us accountable and we are going to be judged in the same way that Germany was judged. The evil that has happened in America is just a tiny foretaste of what is going to happen if the church does not speak um, silence in the face of evil is itself evil That's the famous quote yeah. We don't know if Bonhoeffer yeah. said it or who said it But it's often attributed to him Silence in the face of evil is itself evil And we have many pastors and church leaders Advocating silence on certain issues Saying, oh, we shouldn't be political We need to keep our nose out of that one And I'm thinking, no, you're theologically mistaken It is... uh profoundly wrong to be silent uh, in the face of evil and to pretend that we're only supposed to talk about theological issues. There's no such thing as a theological issue. Theology either touches all of reality or it's meaningless. And the church in Germany had exactly the same excuses. They didn't speak up. They said, we're just going to stay in our theological lane. We just want to preach the gospel. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It was used to harm people. They believed it, And when those the good guys finally saw, oh, we were wrong, we better push against the Nazis, we better speak out against these evils, it was too late. And I'm afraid that the American church is precisely silent for the same reasons in the same way right now. Um, And and that's why I really really believe the Lord called me to write uh, a letter to the American church. I have, uh, I've
1: said this to you before. I've said this publicly. I, I've said this to anyone who listened to me that Bonhoeffer, um, is, I say it's my favorite book, but not because it was enjoyable to read, although it was enjoyable to read. It, it's, it's probably the book that I've read that's had the biggest impact on me personally in terms of the way I look at the world, the way I process what's happening around me in the world. Um, you can't read that book sincerely and not be changed on the other side of that. I was talking to my pastor about this this week, and I said it's, it's just it's the craziest thing that you can take a book like that, look at the life of someone like Bonhoeffer, and you, you can't leave that unchanged. You have to be different on the other side of that, um, and, and so much of Letter to the American Church is talking about Bonhoeffer. What is it that made him unique in his ability to see what was happening when many other people couldn't see it? This is such a confusing uh, issue for me that there are pastors in America, pastors around the world, and certainly pastors at the time of Bonhoeffer who could not see what was right in front of them. And yet he did as a 20 something year old guy, he wasn't an old man. He didn't have a lot of history to pull yeah. from, but he knew it was wrong. What made him different?
2: Well, I think at the heart of it, it's a mystery. We, there's, the first answer is we don't know. God Picks his prophets. Certain people will see yep. things, other people won't. Uh, it's often a terrible thing uh, to see what others don't see because then you have a responsibility yeah, sure. to bring it up. So I haven't, uh, I take no joy in seeing some of the things that I've seen. And I don't think Bonhoeffer took joy. And I don't think the prophets of the Old Testament, or, you know, it's one of those things yeah, when right, if you right. see something, you assume God has given you the gift of seeing it if others aren't seeing it. But then you have a responsibility to speak it. Mm. Bonhoeffer, I mean, if you want to think about why in the natural, uh, he saw these things. First of all, he was raised in a really cosmopolitan intellectual home. Uh, it was not some middle class German home. Uh, he was uh, grew up in a, in a very sophisticated home in Berlin where they would have been privy to some of the evil around the Nazis that your average German wouldn't have had access to because the Bonhoeffers knew a lot of the people in the government. Uh, his brother-in-law Hans von Denanyi was, uh, you know, one of the top figures, uh, in, in the German government and the legal side. And so Bonhoeffer had, uh, inside information in a way, which helped him to see a lot of this stuff. Um, I also think he had more of an ecumenical view of the church. And it was instead of being a classic German Lutheran, because I think a lot of times Christian identity is tribal. And when it's tribal, it's not Christian, yep. right? So if you say I'm yep. Greek Orthodox, because I'm Greek, I'm German right. Lutheran, I'm right. German, uh, I'm uh, Irish uh, Catholic. I'm, you know, it's about Jesus Bonhoeffer, because, um, of his cosmopolitan background and his education, but also for many other reasons, he traveled to Rome when he was 18. So as a Protestant Lutheran, he goes to see the center of the Catholic church and to see the Christian faith there. You know, he didn't dismiss it as a cult. He he looked at it as that, this is the body of Christ in a different expression. He went to New York uh, when he was 24 years old. He saw the black church uh, in 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 New York Right. Uh, he saw a right. lot beyond what we would consider his little church world. And so he was able to think more globally, more, uh I mean, in, in a sense, really to have an objectivity uh, with regard to the to the church that I think if you're inside the German Lutheran church, you tended to think it's very easy to kind of think along, quote unquote, German lines versus along biblical lines. So um, uh, but in a, in a funny way. Uh, In America today, we have the opposite problem. We have a lot of people, you know, because look, you can go wrong in either direction. You you can be so nationalistic that you don't care about other countries uh, or you can be so globalist that you don't care about your own country. Uh, So right now, I think the reason a lot of the maybe people who are theologically liberal or politically liberal who read my Bonhoeffer book did not get the takeaway that you got that a lot of people got. They look at it and they go, oh. I get it. Hitler, uh, <laughs> Trump is Hitler 2.0. So we need sure, to stand yeah, sure, right. the brave Christian thing is to stand against Christian nationalism, to stand against Donald Trump. Hmm. They're reading it wrong. It's very easy yeah. for us to misapply um, the situation. So there are a lot of people who are very, very political on the left who are accusing people either in the center or on the right of being political. uh, If we say, uh, you know, Trump is a good guy, Uh, he's pro-American, he uh, wants uh, there to be religious liberty for the churches, he's behind that, he's behind Israel, he's behind, uh, you know, uh, constitutional uh, justices on Supreme Court. And you you say that, and there are tons of people that will come after you and say, oh, you're being political. And I think, well, listen, um, First of all, one of the main points I make in the book, Letter to the American Church, is this division between faith and politics. It's a silly division. Truth is truth. Yeah. There's no Christian yeah. truth. Yeah. It, there's just truth. And we are called not just to preach the gospel, but to speak truth. And just as the Germans, Bonhoeffer tried to exhort them to speak the truth about the evil of the Nazis. And when I say the evil of the Nazis, I don't just mean like, hey, the Nazis are evil, we hate them. No, what was it about the Nazis? (laughs) What were they pushing that was unbiblical? Well, their racial view of the world that you know, Germans are great, Jews are evil, that right there is dead wrong if you have a biblical view. But if you don't have a biblical view, you can be confused. And so they ought to have seen that, they ought to have spoken against it, Bonhoeffer tried to get them to speak against it, but they kind of thought, well, not yet, not yet, that's just a part of the bigger issue, he was trying to make them see, no, at the heart of this uh, is an anti-biblical agenda, and if we don't speak up now, uh, if we we let people bully us into silence, because they say, oh, Romans 13, you can't talk about that, you're supposed to just keep your mouth shut, stay in your lane, He knew that if you do that, you're disobeying God. Similarly, today, you have people in the American church that say, oh, we're not supposed to be involved in politics. Now, of course, if you're involved in politics on the left side, they won't say anything about it. But if you're involved in politics on the conservative side or whatever, they will say you're being political. And what amazes me, part of the reason I wrote the book, Jeremy, is that I'm astonished at how many American pastors and American Christian leaders have swallowed this nonsense and said, oh, oh, sorry, we don't want to be political. I thought to myself, where where did you get this lie, this false idea that the German church bought that we're not supposed to be political? We're supposed to speak truth. I don't care if somebody wants to call that political. If I spoke against slavery in you know, the 1850s, a lot of people say, oh, you're being political. We have people in our congregation that have a different view. You'd say, well, I'm sorry. I'm supposed to speak what God tells me to speak. Slavery is an abomination from the pit of hell. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. I'm preaching what I consider to be God's truth. And so this idea that many Christian leaders today are pushing that the church shouldn't be political. If ever there was a time for us to be political, it's just like Germany in the 1930s. We're supposed to speak the truth and the silliness that we're not supposed to be political. Now, maybe people say, well, you're not supposed to make an idol of politics. Well, I'm not supposed to make an idol of anything. I'm not supposed to make an idol of my my, my wife and daughter and my family. We're not supposed to make an idol of anything. Every good thing can be turned into an idol. But that doesn't mean I'm not called to responsibly work in that world so loving my family loving my country speaking out uh in the culture and in my nation for what i see happening we have a duty to do those things but there are voices that don't want us to speak and so they are basically saying shut up that's not your lane that's not theological that's not the gospel and i'm i am calling foul in this book i'm saying that is nonsense that is not only wrong but when the germans got that wrong It led to unspeakable evil that they are hanging their heads today, uh, eight and nine decades later. They're hanging their heads in shame that they got that wrong. We in the American church are getting exactly that wrong, exactly in the same way right now. That's why I wrote the book Letter to the American Church. This is a really, really, really urgent, could not be more urgent wake up call by God's grace to, to people who have ears to hear, some won't. But I know a lot of good people; they need to hear this. They need to rethink this.
1: The Romans thirteen uh, thing that you mentioned um, is that is that real? The passage is real, <laughs> but is a the church is hiding behind Romans thirteen? Is that really a misunderstanding of what that passage means, or is that what they hang on to to do the easier thing, which is not push against? The government and not push against culture. The crazy thing, people bring this up all the time. I had someone bring this up to me a couple weeks ago. Well, Romans 13, like, well, the guy who wrote that, he was beheaded because he didn't go along with what the government told him to do. So clearly we've got to talk about what that all looks like, right? Look, the whole thing and it's is, very
2: clear. No, I'm sorry. The whole thing is ridiculous. I mean, look, Romans, part of Romans 13 when they say governing authorities, one way you could read that is they're talking about the cops, okay? If the cops pull you over, sure. you don't spit in his face. And so you just say, like, we're <laughs> right. here to, to yeah. keep order and whatever. So we're not to be such rebels that we do whatever we feel like, that there are governing authorities and there are laws. And, and okay, like, that's correct. But at some point, if the governing authorities tell me slavery is a good thing, if the right. governing authorities say, I'm going to tear the arms off a baby in the womb right. and you need to shut right. up, that's none of your business. Right. I'm going to do everything I can to speak against that evil. That's a different story. So we're not we're not talking right. about, hey, um, I can do what I want. I can drive 95 miles an hour because I feel like it. We're supposed to obey the laws. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot to be said. So when people kind of simplistically reduce it to, that's not my lane, Romans 13. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. usually an excuse because there are many pastors who they've got a good thing going. They've got a decent congregation. They've been there for a number of years. Yeah. They don't want people to leave their church. And I'm here to say your congregation is there because either God put them there or they shouldn't be there. And if you are afraid to speak the truth at a time of crisis in America, unlike any we've faced, frankly, it's it's yes. astonishing with anybody paying attention We're facing tremendous evil. We have a political administration right now. I've never in my life seen anything that compares to the level of brazen lying. I mean, it's one thing to shade the truth. It's one thing to be a little political. But we're seeing things now and we're seeing government overreach. If you don't speak against this, do you think God won't hold you accountable? Because there are human beings who will suffer as a result of your silence, Mr. Pastor. So I'm just astonished at how many have bought this. Bonhoeffer said, I mean, he was really frustrated. I quote him in the book. I mean, it's uh, he's quoted a lot in my book, Letter to the American Church, because he saw the same thing. He basically said this theologically based restraint is theologically mistaken. And he says, in many cases, it's nothing but fear. These are folks that say, well, let's just get along. Let's just get the vaccine, wear masks, don't open up the church, do whatever they tell you to do. And you think, wait a minute, wait a minute. Once you realize that the governing authorities have contempt for the church, you better push back and you better push back hard. Yeah. You live in a country where yeah. you get to govern yourself. And so if you're not being represented by these governing authorities, first of all, you need to speak against it and vote against it and advocate against it. But again, there are many, I mean, I, um, to show how bad things are, I, I say that, look, in Germany, there were good guys that got this wrong. Just like today in America, there are good guys getting this wrong. Um, I don't know Andy Stanley. He wrote a whole book saying the exact opposite of what I'm saying in my my book. And it is horrifying. I forced myself to read it. It's a mess. He's completely theologically confused, just as many in the German church were confused. But what makes it worse, Jeremy, to me is that on the Amazon page is a big blurb from the head of Focus on the Family, Jim Daly. And I thought, now I know how bad things are when a good guy like Jim Daley can just say, yeah, we, you know, this is, this is good. I, I, uh, I support Andy Stanley's book, which is called not in it to win it. And I thought, you mean focus on the family is getting this wrong. You mean to tell me we've moved so far in this direction of, Oh, we don't want to be too political that we are allowing dark forces, uh, to, to, to have boys castrated and girls, uh, destroying, uh, their, Reproductive viability in the future We're being silent when socialist Policies when Are being forced to Destroying the poor you're going to be silent When uh, critical race theory Atheistic Marxist critical race Theory is coming into churches You're going to be silent About that why Because you fear man You fear what people are going to say about you So We're really, really living in a dark time. People are suffering. They're looking to the church for leadership. And the Lord has appointed the church to lead on these issues.
1: You all have helped build MyPillow into the incredible company it is today. Now, Mike Lindell, inventor and CEO of MyPillow, wants to give back to our listeners. Right now, MyPillow is offering exclusive offers on their bed sheets, their six-piece towel set, and even offering an extended 60-day money-back guarantee. Orders placed now through December 25th will have an extended money back guarantee through March 1st. The bed sheets are marked down as low as $29.98 and believe me when I say you will get a great night's sleep in these. Their six piece towel set is made with USA cotton, comes with two bath towels, two hand towels and two washcloths, typically retailed at $89.98 and is now just $39.98 with the promo code. There is a limited supply so be sure to order now. Call 1-800-870-0283, use the promo code SITREP, or go to mypillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and use promo code SITREP. Um, There are so many disappointing things happening right now in the church. I'm a church guy. I was raised in church. My dad was a pastor. I pastored. Um, I love the church. I believe the local church is God's plan for reaching the world with the gospel, um, and so it breaks my heart to see people like you mentioned, Andy Stanley. Um, I was going to, and then I thought, no, I'm not going to bring him up. But um, huge church, hugely influential. And, and honestly, he's been influential in my life, particularly in my communication and early in my development as a pastor and trying to figure out how to lead people. Extremely influential in my life. When that book came out, uh, Not In It to Win It, and you know the messages that accompanied that and the podcast that accompanied it broke my heart because I've defended so many things that Andy Stanley has done along the way, but clearly that's where he is, and that's fine. There are a lot of churches doing it wrong, a lot of big churches doing it wrong, but there are churches that are doing it right, and you travel a lot, you speak a lot, you're in many of these churches. Um, Who are some of the people that are doing it right right now, and what are they doing that makes what they're doing something we should look to and, and in many ways emulate probably?
2: Well, I mean, there are many uh, churches that are doing it right. They're not nearly as prominent uh, as, you know, voices like Andy Stanley or uh, or Jim Daly. That's what concerns me. I mean, yeah. Rob yeah. McCoy, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Jack Hibbs, uh, just a host of folks that I have gotten uh, to know. Yeah. Uh, Ed Young in, in Houston. uh, uh, uh Steve Riggle uh, in the Woodlands. Of, I mean, there's tons of churches yeah. that they get this. But yeah. but the biggest names in the Christian universe in America have been silent and, and have either been silent or have advocated for silence. Andy Stanley's book is just a mess, theologically and historically, it's a mess. But the worst thing is it's going to influence tons of people uh, and it's going yeah. to influence yeah. people like Jim Daly and, and others. And I'm here to say, folks we can't get this wrong. Germans got it wrong. Good guys. In my book, I talk about Martin Niemöller. He's a hero. Martin Niemöller's a hero. He got this wrong. So don't be ashamed if you got it wrong. Good guys got it wrong in the 30s, but they repented. The problem is they repented and saw the light when it was too late. We don't want to see the light when it's too late. It is almost too late. So I really just feel that letter to the American church is written in a way to um, buck up the courage of those who might be willing to see the truth in this and understand that you're in a war. It's a spiritual war. It's a it, it's an ideological war. In some ways, it's also a political war. And truth is truth. I mean, if you're in a war against slavery, you don't say, well, we can't fight in that war because that's political. <laughs> you you right. just believe in the <laughs> right. lives of human beings who are being enslaved. Right. That's wrong. Uh, so right. – so, when when Americans are being pushed around by author- authoritarian government and being told that they're fascists or semi-fascists, if you don't speak against that, you're guilty. Yeah. If God's given you a voice and you don't use it at a time like this, um, you know, it's going to get worse and the Lord will hold us accountable. And so I wrote this book, believing the Lord wants to use it uh, to point people in the right direction.
1: Do you feel like uh, people are waking up to this, um, you know, as you're speaking and your book, I think, has been received very well. Do you feel like there is a shift happening? There is a, a change of focus taking place on some of these issues?
2: I'm very, very cautiously optimistic, uh, Jeremy. Mm. In other words, I don't think God would have called me to write this book unless there's right. hope. But I'll also okay. tell you that we've got a long way to go. Uh, people need to understand you need to fight. God did not call you to have fun, He called you to a battle, <laughs> to an adventure for his purposes, and he is with you. And there's nothing more beautiful than living out your appointed calling. But he he calls us to be in a spiritual battle at the very least to understand yeah. that this is not our home and we are supposed to fight and we're supposed to pray and we're supposed to advocate for the truth and it's going to cost us something. But that's literally why we're here. And what amazes me, I, the, the book is titled Letter to the American Church, but I was going to title it Faith without works is dead, because I think in America, yeah. we have forgotten that if you have faith, if you have faith, God yeah. expects you to live it out. He expects you to do good works. He, spe- he, he expects you um, to work for his purposes. It's not like, OK, I'm saved now. I'm done. No, you, you got if if you got saved, if then you have just begun. And that's what God calls us to. And I really think in the last five decades or so, we, the church has drifted away from this noble calling that we're supposed to be in this battle to win this battle. And if the Lord mm-hmm. uh, calls us to lose, Bonhoeffer was beheaded, Jesus was crucified. Well, that's on the Lord. But we're supposed to be fighting. We're supposed to be advocating for what's right and true. We're supposed to be the voice for the voiceless. Right. We're supposed to be the conscience of the nation. And when the nation's going wrong, we should be the loudest voices speaking against it. And uh, so I am genuinely hopeful. But uh, it's only if everybody will, you know, put their hand to the to the plow, put their shoulder to the wheel and get in this thing.
1: That's good. Um, Your section uh, in the book, I have it here um, on cheap grace talking about faith and works. Fantastic. And the way that you break down even Bonhoeffer's view of that, but how that applies to the church today, is uh, um, it, it is really a call to arms in a lot of ways. If you really believe this, then there will be action behind that, and that's where we are right now. Um, thank you so much for writing it. It's, uh, it's descriptive, which is awesome, but it's very prescriptive, which is also... Extremely helpful. I've given out a stack of them. Uh, when I saw you last week, I had you sign a stack of them. <laughs> so I've given, out, given them out to everybody I can. Um, and everyone I've given them to has reached back out and said it's fantastic. It's very helpful. So thank you for writing it. Um, I'm sure people can find it. But where would you like for people to go to not only find the book, but to follow you and all the other work that you do?
2: Well, I tell everybody, please go to my website. It's ericmetaxas.com. Please sign up for my newsletter. You know, I've been canceled yep. from YouTube. My shows canceled off YouTube. Please sign up for my newsletter. And every week or so, uh, we send out information. But all the information uh, on getting this book. It's the shortest book I've ever written. So it's not like a Bonhoeffer book. But uh, it, it's right. all there. And there are videos and all kinds of things at com. Eric Metaxas,
1: thank you again. Really appreciate you.
2: I appreciate you guys. God bless you. Thank you.
1: We were not made to live in isolation. Sadly, many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. A lot of guys end up drinking. A lot of guys end up losing hope. Someone will go to the VA and they'll try to get, you know, prescription medications to help with PTSD, you know, they'll get pills for anxiety, they'll get pills because they can't sleep, now they'll get pills for depression before they know they're taking 12 different medications. And when it's not working out, these guys lose hope and that's why there's 23 guys a day committing suicide. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. As a result, We've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Everything they said just kept hitting me in the heart over and over and over again. It's like all the things that I didn't know that I needed to
0: hear. And uh, I opened my heart to God that week, dude, and like,
1: (laughs) I've been a different person ever since. Our faith-based peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today. Offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. We provide our programs and resources, including travel, at no cost to our warriors. I remember talking to a licensed a social worker who actually handed me a pamphlet to Mighty Oaks. So I went. I'm yeah, glad I did. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. Our mission is to serve and restore our nation's warriors and families who have endured hardship through their service to America and to help them find new life purpose through hope in Christ. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. Another great conversation with Eric Metaxas. I could not encourage you more strongly than this. I don't know how. If I could, I would. But more strongly than this, please get a copy of Letter to the American Church. Um, I read a lot. Uh, I read um, all the time, uh, several books a month. And there I know someone's listening and going, well I read more than that you probably do, but I read a lot and uh, so often I read things that I find interesting. I read a lot of history, a lot of biographies that I find interesting and even that have application in my life things that I can learn from those uh, books that I read and I'm, I'm always very grateful for the opportunity to do that. But once in a while I come across books, that I give out to others and that I strongly encourage others to read, not only because it's interesting or because they're interesting, but because they have specific application to us as individuals, but more broadly, as we respond to the information given and the perspectives that are presented, um, the impact more broadly will be to our homes, to our communities and to culture at large. And uh, this is one of those books. It's funny. Um, This certainly is one. Bonhoeffer is a book I I can't talk about enough. Um, Profoundly impacted me and I believe would impact anyone (laughs) that would read it sincerely and understand it. So two of the books I implore people to read, uh, Eric Metaxas has written, and I'm very grateful for him. Uh, Not only does he write, and he writes fantastic, um, but he speaks often. Sign up for his newsletter, uh, watch his show, listen to his podcast. You will be blessed and encouraged by doing those things. Very grateful for him and for his relationship to to us. He, again, has supported the Mighty Oaks Foundation. He was our keynote a couple of weeks ago at our gala. Uh, Just fantastic. Very grateful for him. For those of you that have not yet subscribed to this podcast, you need to do that. Subscribe right now. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That lets you know as soon as these episodes are pushed out, you get them automatically. You don't have to think about it. And we want to make sure you have access to those. So please do subscribe. Uh, Then take some time. Go over to YouTube. You can look for our channel, The Situation Report, on YouTube. You'll find our channel there. You can't miss it. Hit subscribe. Then hit that notification bell. Uh, both of those things would be fantastic. What does that do? It gives you access to not only this show or this episode, rather, but all of the episodes that we've done. They're archived there, so please check those out. And uh, you'll be grateful that you did some incredible guests and uh, very grateful for what we're able to do here. And appreciate you uh, sharing those out. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And we will talk to you next time.